afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And by the time you hear these words, we will be less than six weeks away from the 2020 NFL Draft. And with that in mind, today we will continue our 2020 Dash to the Draft series with a preview of the offensive line prospects. And seriously, what better guy is there to analyze this year's crop of tackles, guards, and centers than our resident O-line expert, Nick Kendall, who covers the Broncos and the NFL Draft for MileHighHuddle.com. How's it going, Nick? It's great to have you back. Hey, doing pretty well. Glad to have a little bit of normalcy with all the chaos in the world going on right now to talk a little bit of NFL draft and NFL prospects with you. Oh, absolutely. It's a much-needed respite, and uh, with the NBA being willing to continue playing, albeit with no fans in attendance, I think that was the right decision for them uh, to keep the sports world going in a way that makes everybody safe, and I think that's all we can ask for right now for sports to remain a respite for us as we deal with this uh, coronavirus, which it's not just a seasonal flu, it's the seasonal flu times 20. So, uh, so if you, if you don't want to become a carrier or, 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 catch, or, or catch the disease and deal with the gross symptoms, even though the vast majority of the victims do survive, please stay home and do whatever you can not to confront it because we cannot afford to let this get as worse as some fear so very well put Nick and by the way Nick is a scientist as well folks take him seriously and but in the meantime let's talk some football and uh, you are familiar with this offensive line prospect very well you live in Iowa City you're a big Iowa Hawkeyes fan of course I'm talking about Tristan Wirfs an extremely freakish athletic versatile lineman from Iowa which is arguably college football's main offensive line factory for the NFL so to speak uh, Wirfs has experience at both left and right tackle, and many also believe he has the skill set to be a very, very good guard as well. Also, he delivered an historic performance at the combine in the vertical jump and the broad jump. In your view, and uh, putting your Hawkeye bias aside, what makes Tristan Wirfs the best offensive line prospect in this draft class? Well, he's got tremendous upside, obviously, an athletic freak. And he's still just kind of figuring it all out. I know that the cliche coming from Iowa is that guys are technically savvy, but Worth still has some work to do in his past sets. Um, this last season, we saw a tremendous improvement in his ability to sustain, to sustain blocks. This past year, he kind of overset from time to time. That'd leave him vulnerable to counters, et cetera. But he's, I mean, gosh, length, athleticism, power, gap scheme, zone scheme, tackle guard. He can, he can play any spot there. So really just a, prospect with incredible versatility upside and a home run pick the only I guess the only way you could say maybe you would pick somebody else is if you're spitting by the upside of somebody like Mekhi Becton or the just the calm light feet and technique of Jedrick Wills but Tristan Wirf's kind of the best of both worlds there oh thank you for that scouting report but a lot of people say that Tristan Wirf's is raw in some areas what do you think those areas are uh, in particular well, some of it's a lot of it is the footwork. He tends to overset. He can lunge. He can be a little bit over aggressive, and that'll get him off balance and get himself in trouble. He's not always the most patient, and that can lead to issues again, especially against you know more the speed rusher types. That being said, people are talking about he improved a lot over the season, and a lot of the tape that people watched where they didn't love him so much were against guys like Josh Uche and Zach Bond, two guys who in their own right, are probably going top 50. So he didn't have his ups and downs against scrubs. He's going up against guys who are going to be potentially NFL starters. So, again, with some of the past set stuff, he needs some work there. The raw tools, the lengthy athleticism, it's all there. It's just, you know, cleaning it all up and 
as we've seen with a couple different uh, pro football focus studies, uh, offensive linemen, they don't tend to really reach their, their peak or their, I guess they don't reach their learning curve or stop the learning curve until the third, fourth year. So a little bit of ups and downs is to be expected, but that, that's okay because that's the norm with offensive linemen and offensive tackles. Uh, yes, but Worf's uh, learning under Kirk Ferentz and being at what I call the the offensive line factory of college football, I think uh, that could uh, give him a leg up on that learning curve compared to most rookies, don't you? Well, he's definitely going to know what's going to be asked of him as far as a scheme goes and the demands of it. And also, Iowa has one of the best strength and conditioning programs in the country, and they demand a lot of their players. So there's no doubt about it. I mean, Kirk Ferentz... Those guys come in as pretty much militaristic, team-first, yes-sir types as any prospects in the league. So not going to have many concerns there. And again, if Tristan Wirfs, let's say he doesn't work out at tackle, you have a chance at an all-pro guard. So again, you, you're drafting a guy that high to be a tackle, but the it's not like if he can't work at tackle, he's a complete bust because he projects so well at guard as well. So it's just there's a multifaceted approach there in terms of his value. Yeah, Tristan Wirfs, uh, he won't last past the Browns at 10, folks. You could pretty much put that in Sharpie. And as you alluded to, the other prospect neck and neck with Tristan Wirfs to be the first offensive tackle off the board is Makai Becton of Louisville. Becton is a mountain of a man at 364 pounds, yet moves incredibly light on his feet, and he ran a jaw-dropping 5'10'40 at the combine. Why do you think many analysts and teams view Becton as potentially the best offensive lineman in this class and not Wirfs? Well, you can't teach that size. A guy that is that big, I mean, it's just simple. I guess we'll call it physics of it, or the mechanics of it. You have a long way to go to get around him, and that, that difference, it changes angles, it changes time, it gives quarterback more time. So that upside along with his ability and just his movement skills. I mean, you don't see a guy at that size move like he does. It's not like Orlando Brown a few years ago where he came into the combine. Yes, Orlando Brown was huge, but he came in sloppy a little bit of heavy in the feet, and he's worked out well for the Ravens. Maybe not going to work out for every team, but he's worked out well next to just retired Marshall Yonda there. But that's not the case with Becton. You know, very low body fat, excellent movement skills on tape, and even though he just ran the the forty and then he pulled up, I believe it was a quad strain. Maybe I don't don't quote me on the specific injury he had there, but overall that stuff is the the upside, the tools, the athleticism, the size. It all is just next level stuff. Oh, it most certainly is, and uh, if NFL teams uh, love the success that Trent Brown has handled the league so far, a seventh-round pick, uh, was it in uh, 2017 or 2016, uh, and he's gone on to be one of the top uh, tackles in the league, uh, Becton um, compares uh, very favorably to him, doesn't he? I would say that Becton is a better athlete than he is even. The Daniel Jeremiah has used the Bryant McKinney comparison who is a longtime tackle for the Minnesota Vikings and I think I like that one the best because Brown and him have slightly different body types and skill sets but again that's a what is that the highest paid tackle in football now one of the top three highest paid tackles so not bad company to be in I think there's a little bit of differences there in the body types and the movement skills but still that's good air to be in Absolutely, and uh, you mentioned Alabama's Jedrick Wills, who rounds out the first tier of offensive tackles. However, there were rumors coming out of the combine that his stock may be falling a bit. Uh, Tony Pauline of uh, Pro Football Network, who's a respected draft analyst and NFL insider, he reported that teams think that Wills isn't quick enough to mentally process more complex blocking schemes and that he projects far better at guard than at tackle. Do you think he'd be a better guard? 
I he might end up being a better guard in the long long run, but there's such a scarcity on tackles. I would not put him at guard unless he fails at tackle. So, again, kind of like Werfs, but with a lesser athletic profile. Though still a really good athlete, and let's not you know short him anything. But I think that Wills, you, you got to let him fail at tackle before you move him into guard. And again, it just it increases the floor on that pick. Where Mackay Becton, given his height, given his play style, if he fails at tackle, you're pretty much. I mean, where are you putting him? It's tackle or bust. But with Wills, with Werfs. Both those guys can move inside. Their skill set projects both at tackle and at guard. So, again, it just adds multiplicity to what you can do up front, get the best five out there, and just adds different, I guess, outcomes for what is a, a solid prospect in the end. Yes, and uh, you initially told me that you thought he compared a little too much to Cam Robinson, who's been an up-and-down tackle for the Jaguars since being selected in 2017. Based on further film study, uh, how much uh, better of a prospect do you think Wills is compared to his fellow Alabama Crimson Tide linemen? Well, those were concerns based on some of the power stuff, but more film study revealed a guy who just consistently great technique. You saw Cam Robinson. He's a little bit of a waist bender and a guy who maybe is a better tackle as well, but that's a different, or a better guard as well, but that's a different discussion. But Wills is really technically proficient. And the more you, the more I watched him, the better he was. But this is another guy also just to kind of stand on my Tristan Wirfs hill. Not many, a lot of people make a lot about how Tristan Wirfs struggled against Michigan, which he was playing with a sprained ankle, I believe, in that game against Josh Uche. Josh Uche also gave him uh, Jedrick Wills a heck of a run as well to the point where Jedrick Wills said Josh Uche was the best uh, defensive player pass rusher that he went against in his career at Alabama so definitely look out for that I guess we're getting off a tangent here with an edge rusher but I, I, I don't think that at all he is a Cam Robinson a little bit of concerns there at the start you know a guy who's let's call it as this he's not the best athlete but tackles a position where athleticism is nice to have but in the end it comes down to the technique and the proficiency and I think Wills has that so I can't speak to his intelligence I know that around this time last year, Tony Pauline was also talking about Quinnen Williams as the guy that was slipping because teams questioned his maturity. Maybe in hindsight, those questions should have been more validated given the gun incident at, was it LaGuardia, JFK? It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it was, it was at LaGuardia, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so again, he still went third overall. So there might be some rumors there, but he's just too talented. There's too much need for tackle for him to fall out of the top. 14, let's say, especially out of the top 11, but he won't get past the, the Bucks. Yes, and there could be as many as four offensive tackles taken in the top 14. We talked about Tristan Wirfs, we talked about Mackay Becton and Jedrick Wills, but another one that could find himself in that top 14 is Georgia's Andrew Thomas, and this guy is a very interesting prospect. Entering the fall, most draft Knicks had him as a surefire, can't-miss top 10 prospect, but now, as it has widely been reported, uh, his stock is varying a lot from a top 14 or 15 pick to a late first round pick. Why do you and many others think that Andrew Thomas isn't quite in that same tier as Worf Specton and Wills? Well, Andrew Thomas is a guy that, unfortunately, this is part of the game and maybe it's right or wrong, but he's somebody that he is really good right now. I'm not sure what he projects to be in three to four years. And he has some just physical limitations that limit his upside, especially in a scheme where he's going to be asked to block on an island or on that left side. He probably projects best as a right tackle at the next level, one, one where he can get some help, especially in passing situations. He doesn't have the quickest feet. He is a really long guy, and he's a little bit top-heavy on the ground a little too much. And for his length, I wish he sustained blocks a little bit better. Has some struggles against speed rushers and guys who counter. So I think he has about as high of a floor as any of the tackles in this class. In fact, the first year 
two years in the in the NFL, he might end up being the best tackle of the bunch. But are you drafting a guy for what they're going to be year one, year two, or what they're going to be, you know, down the road years five, six, seven? So it's a question of the where they come into the league to where you believe they can be. So I just think there's there's limitations in Thomas's game from a physical skill set, and that's enough of a differentiator within an amazing top of this class of tackle that pushes them down. And many also think that Andrew Thomas's play style is better suited inside a guard. Do you think Andrew Thomas could play guard? <sighs> I think he could, but the balance issues and the top-heavy nature of his play and his reps concern me. You know, I, th- I think he probably could, and that would limit some of this, the foot speed questions. But probably right tackle is where you're going to get the most value from him, and it seems like the most natural fit for him. So, again, really technically proficient guy, long, pretty strong at the point of attack, but maybe not a... Bl- Left tackle. What do you mean you need two tackles in today's NFL? Really, if you're going to talk about it, left tackle, right tackle, it doesn't matter as much. But their teams tend to put guys at right tackle because I don't know if it's a, they're not on the blind side or they can feel more comfortable with scheming help on that side. You know, that's a strong side of the line, maybe a tight end or running back chipping. But that just seems to be the trend with Andrew Thomas. Yes, and back to the combine where one of the biggest winners as far as offensive linemen were concerned was Boise State offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland. He finished best among offensive linemen in the three-cone drill and the 20-yard shuttle, and he also finished in the top five amongst offensive linemen in the bench press and 40. But in as early as late December or early to mid-January, Tony Pauline was reporting that several around the NFL believed that Ezra Cleveland could go in the first round. Based on what you've seen on his game tape so far, do you think that such beliefs were and are currently justified? Teams are always going to lean into upside and projection. So a guy that has, I mean, not incredible arm length, but movement skills like Ezra Miller does, not only the leaps, the running, the agilities, somebody's going to take him early, even in this good tackle class. So I do think that he is a little bit scary because there is some, I guess, ups and downs in his play. Sometimes I feel like he's more of a standing in the way of somebody rather than being an aggressor. And you see that in the run game. And, you know, that's not always what you want with the offensive line. But, again, with the tools he has, the upside, the measurements, there's no way that he makes it out of the top 40. That would be a shock to me. And when you can have a guy like Garrett Bowles go 20 and a guy like Colton Miller go, I believe it was 13. 15. Based on the, 15, okay, based on the tools and traits that they had. A guy like Ezra Miller, even in this great tackle class, should go pretty early. Yeah, and I, that's Ezra Cleveland, by the way, not Ezra Miller. Uh, just Excuse me, Ezra, who's Ezra Miller? Is that a pitcher? Uh, like it might, might be a pitcher. <laughs> I, I think that might be a baseball thing. Yeah, that's okay, Nick. Uh, you're cool. You're cool. And uh, yes, Ezra Cleveland, uh, he's uh, believed by Tony Pauling to be coveted by the Cleveland Browns if the top three tackle prospects are gone by 10 late in the first round and the Los Angeles Chargers potentially in the early second or a trade-up into the late first. And now let's talk about this uh, interior offensive line class for a little bit. While it is relatively solid yet unspectacular, there are two really, really good center prospects in this year's class in Michigan Cesar Ruiz and Lloyd Cushenberry III of LSU, who I had the uh, honor and privilege of interviewing and meeting down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And many project those two to be selected in the top 50. Give us your impression of both of those pivots and where and why you currently rank them on your board. Well, I really, really like Cesar Ruiz. I think he's a guy he has got great movement skills, and he's played both high high-value snaps, really good snaps at both right guard and center. I think he's he can move well enough that you can see him at zone, and he's also pretty darn strong at the point of attack to play in that gap. He reminds me a good a good amount of 
Elton Jenkins coming out of Mississippi State last year, where just the the overall movement skills as far as but as a people mover and the versatility, I think it'll be very valued. And I could see him maybe he'll fall to day two, but I think he'll be day one plug and play center or right guard. So I really like him a lot. Lloyd Cushenberry, I like a decent amount. I do think that he might be getting a little bit of a national championship high high caliber or high profile program bump right now where I, I do think he's a good center, but he might be a little bit more limited to a power scheme and watching him against the Auburn, you know, you saw some ups and downs there. So I think he can be solid, a good player. I just don't think he has the, the ceiling of a Cesar Ruiz. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Matt Hennessy ended up a better center given the amount of combo blocks and the, the second level blocking that he can do. You know, not every team is going to ask their centers to get to that second level to reach block, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, Matt Hennessy probably is his own scheme. But if I was running a more zone heavy scheme, I would lean towards Hennessy over Cushionberry. But if I was a gap power scheme, I'd probably take Cushionberry. Uh, yes, and Cushionberry also has experience at guard. Do you think he could be better suited at guard than at center in the NFL? I like his intelligence and his leadership more at center at guard where he can kind of see protections, et cetera, and communicate with the quarterback where those traits can really come through. But, I mean, the fact that he can play some right guard or center just adds value to him. And now we go on to one of our favorite games on this program. It's called Buy or Sell. And in this game, I will mention a prospect that we haven't really discussed in depth so far and uh, why you buy or sell their long-term potential in the NFL. And we start with a guy who could be the fourth offensive tackle drafted in front of Andrew Thomas and another guy who I met down in Mobile at their Senior Bowl, Josh Jones of Houston. Buy or sell? Well, unfortunately, I have to add the caveat that where a guy lands is as important as to who that player is and their pro- their profile. So a guy ends up with a horrible offensive line coach, bad situation. He might not end up a good player. But I like Josh Jones a fair amount. I like that he has good movement skills. I wish he would have showed a little bit better in the drills than he did at the combine. That maybe pushes him out of the first round, maybe a lower first round pick. But I think in a passing league, he's got a, he's a guy who's just a natural pass blocker. And you're always going to find value for that at tackle. So I'll buy on Josh Josh Jones. I guess it depends on where you're talking about buying, though. End of the first round, sign me up. And an interesting prospect that could slide a bit due to injury is a Lucas Niang of TCU. Buy or sell? If the meniscus is fine, I'm buying all the stocks on Lucas Niang. His tape from two seasons ago remind. I mean, he didn't look the same last year. And I think that the meniscus and the injury that he played with and eventually sidelined him really hampered him. But you go back, you watch him against, I mean, Chase Young said that he was the, the best tackle he went against, and that's when Chase Young kind of realized, like, oh, man, I just can't get by on my athleticism anymore. So Lucas Niang, a heck of a player, and I think that if the medicals come back clean and everything like that, he has a chance to be as good as any tackle in this class. I, I am a huge fan of Lucas Niang, and you can quote me in being in Niang gang. Uh the, the Yang Gang in the presidential election to the Niang Gang in the NFL draft. Don't get those mixed up, folks. Just a friendly reminder. And Niang with a hard end. Niang with a hard end. Good call, Nick. Niang Gang. That's, that's the, uh, yeah, I really like his tape a lot. He's a good mover. I think he's probably better in gap, but I do think he could play right or left either end. If he's the, let's say, taken behind Austin Jackson, Austin, uh, Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, what would that put him? Like the, the eighth tackle taken? Sign me up. That, that's a guy that I am preying on that he falls to the Broncos round two if they don't get a tackle round one. And you mentioned USC's Austin Jackson, buy or sell? Gosh, he scares me so much. He's the one that I have the hardest time with because 
I can see the, the base moves really well. I can see the arm length. But then I just think about him getting absolutely destroyed by a guy like AJ Epinesa in the Holiday Bowl this past year. The thing that makes him really interesting is that he missed an entire year of conditioning and development after donating bone marrow to help save his sister's life. So that really, I mean, I've never donated bone marrow, but apparently that really messes with your overall health and you have to be pretty gingerly brought back up to speed. So for a division one athlete, that's, that's pretty incredible. So I guess if you're talking about end of round one, just because the upside and the the value of the position, I will buy him there, but understand that he's, he's about as boomer bust as any tackle prospect in this class. Yeah, many people, um, one person I respect compared him to uh, Greg Robinson, the infamous uh, number two overall pick bust uh, to the Rams in uh, 2014. And another interesting prospect is uh, the guy who played opposite of Andrew Thomas at Georgia, Isaiah Wilson, buy or sell? I will buy Isaiah Wilson in a gap scheme round three. He's very strong at the point of attack, but I think he his heaviness of his feet and some ugliness, I'll just call it, in the technique is something that concerns me with his game. I know that uh, my colleague Eric Trickle is a huge fan of Isaiah Wilson. I like him. I just think that I want a little bit more movement skills and pass blocking upside from my tackle, if possible. Now, Wilson is a mammoth of a man. He's not the the physical specimen that is Mackay Becton, who has like ridiculous body fat percentage. But just that length makes him a little bit better in regards to the pass, pass protection upside. But he scares me a good amount. That being said, he's got starting tackle upside. So taking him round two for the Broncos pick, again, this is not a Broncos podcast, but I conflate everything back to the Broncos. For the Broncos second round pick, I'm not in, but the third round pick, I would be in. So I guess a soft buy, but it depends on the price. Uh, talk about a freakish athlete with tantalizing upside, Matt Pert of a uh, UConn mm. or Pert. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Forgive me. Buy or sell. Pert. Uh, same thing as Wilson, except I'm a little even more leaning into the upside here because of the because of the movement skills. He's got great length and he's pretty raw. I believe he started playing football when he came over from. Gosh, I want to say his parents came from Nigeria. Maybe I'm mixing up him and Prince Tegawanugu Winogu. But uh, I think uh, Pert has tremendous upside. I think he played right tackle at UConn, but I think he could move over to left tackle. And I just think he's got more perceivable upside and pass blocking upside. So uh, he's kind of the antithesis with Wilson, where I think Wilson, you're a little bit safer. You got more floor there with him. But I think Pert has actually higher pass blocking upside. So I might lean Pert when it comes down to it. Uh, yes, and it was indeed Prince uh, Tegawanogo's family that came from Nigeria, and I don't think it was Pertz. Yeah, I think you did get them mixed up there. And the last of these tackles in this buy-or-sell game, Colton McKivitz of West Virginia, buy-or-sell. At tackle, sell. I think that he's a guy who has some guard upside, but it's kind of the – I don't think he'll be end up being a starter in the NFL. He's just got some sloppy tendencies. I haven't watched as much of him since I did last year because I did think that he had some upside. He was playing opposite of Yadni Kajust there at – West Virginia, but I think he's probably a guard or bust in this league, and that transition isn't always the simplest, so I'll probably sell on Colton McKivitz. And now we go to the interior offensive lineman and a guy who could be great value on day three, LSU's Damian Lewis, buy or sell? He's a little bit like his compadre in Lloyd Cushenberry, where he's a guy who maybe he's got a little bit of a blue blood you know, exposure bump. People know him. People were watching LSU this year, the Joe Burrow effect. 
And he did okay at the senior bowl. I think he's a solid guard prospect. Again, a guy, though, that I think is probably best in a gap scheme. You don't want him running, moving laterally, getting to the second level. That just doesn't seem his game. Let him be strong. Let him be dig guys out at the point of attack. So at the right scheme, I could see a team taking him late day three or late round three, early round four. But that's that's about the extent that I would be interested in his game. Oh, and uh, Matt Pert, I was, excuse me, I was wrong. I just looked it up. Matt Pert is from Jamaica. Oh, thank you very much for clarifying that as well. And we now go to a small school prospect who I also saw down at the Senior Bowl, Ben Barch from St. John's University in Minnesota. Buy or sell? I will buy on Barch, round three, round four. I think, again, movement skills. He's a guy that played tight end. He's completely changed his body. And just listening to what he had to eat to get to his weight, man, anybody who could scarf down that nasty concoction, has to has their heart in it, especially in Division Three football. I mean, you're doing it for the love of the game at that point. So I'll buy on that. He's probably a guy that will take a couple years, a year at least, to get conditioned to the league, a little bit more of a learning curve, kind of like the, oh gosh, who was the guard for Tampa Bay? Ali Marpet. Ali Marpet, yes. Who it took a, a few seasons to kind of get going there, and then all of a sudden you saw it, you know, start to come come together. So I think I like him best at guard but again he's a guy because of the measurements the movement skills the size all that stuff i think it's more guard but i think you know you let you let you draft him and you see where it best develops and you know got upside and potential tackle but definitely some guard ability a guy that's received a lot of love from uh, Dane Brugler. I think he had him ranked in the top five amongst interior offensive linemen pre-combine robert hunt of louisiana lafayette the raging cajuns buy or sell and just to go back for just a second, I wasn't thinking about Ali Marpet, actually. I was thinking about Alex Kappa. Oh, Kappa, my mistake. Yes, who went to – both of those guys went to incredibly small schools. Yes, but I was did. thinking of Kappa. So Kappa went to like Hobart or something. Uh, right? Humboldt State. Uh, Marpet Humboldt State. Hobart. Yeah. There we go. But, uh, yep, no, so I really like the tape of Robert Hunt. However, the injuries scare me a lot, a lot, a lot. Those are some pretty cons- serious injuries, so – Honestly, just based on the medicals, I'm probably going to sell on him. But I really think at a power scheme, if you're a heavy power scheme, you're looking for a guy who can be like a Will Hernandez light, you know, just dominant at the point of attack and maybe not the best mover, but just, you know, an A kicker. I won't cuss on your podcast, but uh, (laughs) he's somebody that I would be, uh, if I was a power scheme, I would take a flyer on probably late round three through round four. But again, I, I personally, for me, given the injuries, I would be out. I think you can find other interior offensive linemen in that range that I would be more willing to take that flyer on. And you mentioned Matt Hennessy of Temple. You say that you have him as the second highest center prospect on your board. Why do you buy Matt Hennessy long-term in the National Football League? Well, it depends on what scheme you're running. If you're running a zone scheme, give me Matt Hennessy. I think he's incredibly intelligent. He's a guy that Temple staff has raved about. I believe Matt Rule has also spoken highly of him. So maybe watch him go to, go to the Panthers because – Rules with Temple before he recruited Hennessy to go to Temple before going off to Baylor, and now it's the Panthers. But his movement skills are really good. I think he's very strong. I think he's what people wanted Nick Harris to be. You know, coming into the Senior Bowl, people were like, oh, Nick Harris, the center prospect, moves extremely well, smart, line on his feet. Then Nick Harris had an absolute stinker of a Senior Bowl. Matt Hennessy did not get enough hype coming out of the Senior Bowl. I love the movement skills. I think he's very smart. He's not going to confuse anybody for Garrett Bradbury at, at the center position, where he's, you know, a freak, a freak in movement skills. But again, I think that the, his ability to reach block 
and move to that second level and the pass blocking upside he possesses. That's all there. So I really like Hennessy a lot if you're running a more predominantly zone scheme. Oh, fascinating. And uh, uh, incredible breaking news right now from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski in the NBA. Don't mean to uh, uh, distract from this uh, podcast, but I think um, we have to uh, let our listeners know here. Uh, Rudy Gobert, the star center for the Utah Jazz, has tested positive for the coronavirus, and the NBA has suspended its season as a result. Wow. It's, it's a shame, but... You have to be safe. You have to be sorry. And with one of their players currently infected with the virus and to ensure the player safety, you can't just preach player safety. You got to deliver on it. The NBA has suspended the season to protect its players and its fans. And I think they had no choice after that. Holy cow. Indeed. But uh, now back to uh, football here in the uh, offensive line prospects. Keith Ishmael from San Diego State, buy or sell. Wow. Also, not to expand upon that, but apparently all of the Oklahoma City and Utah players are in quarantine at the actual arena. Yeah, they they called off the game immediately before tip-off. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, this is just, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. Um, uh, Keith Ismail, underrated player. I actually mocked him to the Broncos round four in a recently, uh, my mock draft, my recent one. Again, he's kind of the discount version of... Matt Hennessy, where a little smaller, you don't want him to be taken on a nose tackle one one versus one very often. But I think he's got pretty good movement skills and a smart center. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if he ends up the the best, uh, ends up one of the better centers and a starting center eventually in this class. Like he's This is a pretty good center class, in my opinion. And uh, last but not least, uh, a guy who um, put his name on the map at the Shrine Game, Michael Onwenu from uh, University of Michigan, buy or sell? Say that one more time. I'm sorry. This time, the whole NBA thing, this is all freaking me out. <laughs> Say it one more time. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh, Michael Onwenu of Michigan, who really um, made a name for himself at the Shrine Game. Buy or sell? I like him a good amount. He's really long. I am concerned about his, I think he's like 6'3", 360 pounds. So that body type is, you know, is it well put together? It's something that unless I saw him measured, is he sloppy? Is he well, is the, you know, cut, is he thick in the right ways, I guess, so to speak. That stuff, that would concern me. But I think he's really strong and good at the point of attack. And a guy who, pretty underrated there. They had a pretty they actually had a pretty good offensive line in Michigan this year, but the whole system changed there. They, they recruited guys for that power scheme that Harbaugh wanted to run and then switched to the air raid. So it took them a little bit to kind of get going. You saw that with Cesar Ruiz. You saw that with um, the also the left tackle I like a lot as well, uh, Renyan. So that's I, I would be interested in them round four, round five both of Renyon and uh, the right guard whose name is now escaping me. Yeah, he is Nick Kendall, ladies and gentlemen, Sports Crunch's honorary resident offensive line expert of milehighhuddle.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Kendall, M-H-H. And before we let you go, Nick, we want you to match some of these prospects to their best possible team fit, in your opinion. Starting with Tristan Wirfs. What is the best possible team fit for Tristan Wirfs? The best possible team fit? Well, are we talking realistically, or it doesn't even matter? Um, try to balance the two. Okay, I think probably the best fit would be the Cleveland Browns. They're a team that needs offensive line help, both at left tackle and right tackle. And with the new head coach coming from Minnesota, they're going to be implementing a more zone-heavy scheme. Wirfs is about as good of a zone prospect in this class as there is, so... And I was I was going to say the Vikings because they need help as well, but I'll try to keep it realistic. So I think the Viking or the the Browns would be the best fit there.
What about Makai Becton? Best team fit for Makai Becton? Best team fit for Makai Becton? With the Chargers moving on from Russell Okung, that's a team that really needs help at tackle. Sounds like they're going to be in the market for a veteran quarterback. Makai Becton, it sounds like he's being linked there. I think that makes a heck of a lot of sense with them and a guy who's strong, big at the point of attack and has some upside. So that, that just, that smells of Chargers. So I'll go with them. And Jedrick Wills, best possible team fit for Wills. Best possible team fit for Wills. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have two good guards, but I really think in that scheme, he's really solid in his pass protection. He's a great functional player and super strong at the point of attack as well. I think that it sounds like the Buccaneers are all but tipping their hand. that They're in on tackle in this draft cycle very early. So I think that the Buccaneers would be a great fit for Jedrick Wills. Um, yeah, especially if the Buccaneers uh, get Tom Brady, and it was reported today that they are going all in to try to acquire him when he hits the market. He's going to need somebody to protect him on the blind side, even though uh, he matched offensive line really well. you got to get him a tackle because you have the wide receivers for him if he goes to Tampa. Now you got to get him a tackle. Wills would make perfect sense in Tampa. What about Andrew Thomas? Best team fit for Andrew Thomas? I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins, a team that needs offensive line help across the board. That 18th pick right there, assuming they're pairing that fifth pick with a quarterback, I think the Dolphins make a lot of sense. They just need to start protecting him and getting difference makers on that offensive line just to help keep that guy upright. Oh, absolutely, especially if they go with Tua Tagovailoa and his uh, notable injury history at five. you got to get a tackle to uh, protect him with your next pick, and Andrew Thomas it could be the front runner for that honor for the Dolphins. What about Josh Jones? Best team fit for Josh Jones? Josh Jones, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings there, a team that runs the zone scheme. They have issues at both tackle positions. Brian O'Neill, good athlete, moves around, but obviously could use some competition there. And Riley Reef sounds like a guy they're looking to uh, supplant. So I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. It makes a lot of sense as a team that could use tackle, especially if they're going to continue on this Gary Kubiak, Dalvin Cook heavy run offense and limit the, limit the impact and the volume of Kirk Cousins. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, especially in that scheme there in Minnesota. Uh, your man, Lucas Niang, Mr. Niang Gang. Best possible fit for Lucas Niang? I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos. I think he's a guy he projects well in zone or gap scheme, and with Shermer coming, the inside zone is going to be pretty prevalent. Get his, get his hands on Mike Munchak, a guy who, let's say he's not ready day one because of that meniscus concern. You don't have to play him immediately, but with Jawan James and Garrett Bowles, I think that Niang landing in Denver would be a great spot for both of them. Yeah, that yeah, especially behind those uh, two tackles, he wouldn't have to start right away, so it would give him an opportunity to get healthy uh, as well there uh, in Denver, plus with that amazing coach in Mike Munchak. What about Cesar Ruiz? Cesar Ruiz, I'm going to go with the New England Patriots. That seems to be the common name with them. They are possibly losing both their uh, – Ted Karras, their backup center, who has played pretty well this year, and Joe Thune. So getting a stalwart there to man up the interior of the offensive line, kind of like when they took Logan, Macon, Logan Mankins all those years ago, makes a lot of sense. And Matt Hennessy, best possible fit for Hennessy. Ooh, man, that's you caught me off guard with that one. Hmm. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens, a team that you know, they just lost Marshall Yonda. Their interior offensive line play outside of Yonda this past year was not the best. They have two great tackles, but they really need to if – if their identity is going to be Lamar Jackson and that kind of multifaceted power run game, option run game, getting another center that can help 
really form a relationship with Lamar Jackson there and kind of be his his go-to, his pivot man on that offensive line, I think would be an important get. So I think the Ravens would be a really fun fit. Uh, yeah, they do have Matt Skura, although he did uh, end up on injured reserve uh, last season. And uh, I don't know how many more years left are on Skura's contract. But uh, if you think Hennessy could play guard, like him uh, to replace Yonda might make sense. Don't you think so? Possible, but I think Hennessy's best fit at center. And Skura is not anybody who is a good enough player, in my opinion, that you're you're not looking for upgrades. Oh. You know, don't don't let okay players keep you from getting good ones. And last but not least, Lloyd Cushenberry. Best possible fit for him. Lloyd Cushenberry? Hmm. Honestly, I think the Kansas City Chiefs would be a fun one for him. The They have an okay interior offensive line. I think it was Steven Wisniewski ended up being their starter at center by the end of the year. But that's a team. Actually, scratch it. I'm taking that off. I think the, the Patriots would be a great team for Cushenberry. Or not the Patriots, excuse me. The Raiders. Two teams that I hate. The Raiders, they're shopping Gabe Jackson. Rodney Hudson is getting older. Both power players, both guys that, you know, not always the best movement skills, but super strong, very smart players. Cushenberry maybe doesn't start right away. However, the Raiders do unload Gabe Jackson, then make a heck of a lot of sense. And it just seems like a Gruden guy to me. So I can see Cushenberry in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Raiders of Oakland, that is, Nick. And uh, that's how um, uh, Pat Kerwin uh, said it on a Sirius XM NFL radio. And uh, here on Sports Crunch, we're going to abide by that protocol, just to let you know. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nick Kendall, thank you very much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back with more of our 2020 Dash of the Draft series very, very soon. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Nick. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Nick Kendall, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.